Okay. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so I am happy to be back with you tonight uh, here on another Tuesday. I uh, apologize for the lateness. It's been a crazy day here in the Olsen household. Um, but uh, we're getting things sorted out, including one of the things I'm trying to sort out. Uh, they completely changed the interface for going live on Twitter, which I've been doing since pretty much the beginning of this class. I'm trying to still use it, but it's pretty deeply weird, and I'm not at all sure it's working. Um, it, I'm doing it. It looks like it's on, but last week it would look the same way, and it wasn't. So no idea. But anyway, there it is. So we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Anyhow, um, so my apologies for those who have you know are, have been watching on Twitter and can't seem to because it's weird. But anyhow. Um, we're back. So, uh, uh, this past weekend I was down in, uh, Florida, uh, in Orlando and Lakeside down there for, um, uh, for Sunshine Moot, uh, which was, which was awesome. We had a, a really great time. We had a big long day of discussion. Uh, it was, uh, it was a really, uh, uh, a really fun time just sort of open, uh, uh, question and answer and discussing things we worked through. Um, I was, uh, I actually did a, a talk based on, um, based on the, the, uh, one of the things I saw at the Tolkien exhibit the week before in New York, um, uh, really, really awesome thing for those of you who have seen it uh, or know what I'm talking about. It's uh, uh, the sort of facing pages where on the one side uh, is a pencil version of his poem, The Shores of Fairy. And then on the other side is a watercolor painting uh, that he did. Uh, it's a Valinorian painting with the sun and the moon and the trees and uh, and uh, 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 the the towers in the middle and Tenequitil in the background. Um, really, really awesome uh, uh, painting. A lot to talk about there. So we did a lot of discussion of the uh, the poem and the uh, uh, and the, the the image and you know thinking about. Tolkien's creative process and l watching these worlds just kind of taking shape uh, as he's sitting here, you know, writing in pencil on the one side of the page and painting in watercolors on the other. Uh, uh, really, I think uh, that was so evocative to me when I saw that. I just wanted to share that. And we, we had a, a wonderful, leisurely discussion. We must have spent I don't know what two three hours talking about uh, the poem and the painting there. Uh, it was um, it was really nice. It, it was it was uh, really fun. So anyway, we had a great time at Sunshine Moot. Um, looking forward to our next moot now, which is Nader Moot in the Netherlands. Uh, so uh, that's going to be exciting. Our second European moot ever. Uh, so we'll be um, um, we'll be. Uh, uh, we'll be there. That's the 13th of April. So it's a couple weeks away. So when it comes, I won't, don't think I'll be missing exploring the Lord of the Rings actually for that. I'll be missing a couple other things, but I won't be missing this. Um, both this and Wednesday night are, uh, we'll be safe from, uh, from that for now. Um, but anyway, that's going to be fun. Looking forward to that. And, uh, we had one other thing that I wanted to make sure to announce was, um, uh, this week we're having film film. I've had to mess up the film film schedule a little bit, but we're going to be there for film film this week on Friday, um, uh, Friday morning, 10 AM, uh, here on the Twitch channel. Also using our go to webinar link that we've been using. 
Uh, so um, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be we're coming to the end of our our, our planning session. We're going to be start mapping out in detail uh, the outline of uh, of season four, having worked through a whole bunch of those issues and stuff. So that's going to be fun. Hope you can join us for that. And of course, tomorrow night back to Sir Thomas Mallory into the home stretch. Now the great ending sequence uh, as we work towards the final death of Arthur at last. My uh, uh, my son keeps teasing me because I'm listening to it in the car, right? I've got the unabridged, uh, sadly modern pronunciation, but anyway, it's still an unabridged recording, mostly unabridged. Um, and it, um, so, you know, I'm listening to it in the car and my son gets in the car and he's like, Arthur takes like 36 hours to die. Um, but anyway, we're getting there. Uh, hi, Katriana. Good evening. Great to meet Katriana and Bruinier this weekend. That was good. And O'Malley also got to meet O'Malley too. That was really cool. Um, anyway, okay. So let us get back to the text here tonight. Um, uh, there was uh, I, I, so yeah tonight back thinking about Aragorn. Right. Uh, we're gonna we're, we've. It's funny again the, on uh, comments on the uh, discussion board. A lot of people are wanting to talk about some of the later parts of the conversation between Frodo and Gandalf, and we're not quite there yet. Um, uh, we're uh, still working up there. Hopefully tonight we're going to get to the place where we have the uh, um, the the uh, I, what do you call it? The conversation about Aragorn, right? So uh, finally, when Frodo learns uh, Aragorn's true nature and stuff. Um, so we'll see if we can get that far. But I really appreciated uh, Irindus uh, made a wonderful observation, Irindus. And Irindus, did I say how awesome it was to get to meet you in New York the weekend before last? That was really great. Um, so um, this is, uh, I'd never really thought it through in this much detail, Irindus, but you're really right. Um, <clears throat> she says, I suspect that Gandalf is evasive in many meetings to avoid the larger and more scary questions that explaining his delay would raise. He instead focuses on Frodo's triumphs, the Barrow, escaping the Black Riders, and the safety within Rivendell thanks to Elrond's power. Gandalf steers the conversation towards hope, a spiritual balm for Frodo's wound. Also, delaying the full conversation allows many meetings and the Council of Elrond to echo the shadow of the past very nicely. Frodo and Gandalf greet each other after a long separation. Gandalf assesses Frodo's health. Frodo and Gandalf speak one-on-one, -on -one, during which time Frodo presses Gandalf for news, but Gandalf stops himself before going too in-depth before the time is right. A new day dawns. Over many hours, world history and ring lore is slowly laid out before Frodo until the full weight of the present situation is revealed. Frodo resolves to depart on a long journey. Sam interrupts, is enlisted, and says something charming. <laughs> that's, I think, uh, wonderful. That, that, that's, uh, that's excellent. Uh, <laughs> really uh, a great synopsis. Um, and I had never really noticed how closely those things, I think in part because, uh, you know, the thing that had uh, always made me miss this is the, the sort of imbalance, right? How in many meetings we get a big emphasis on the first part, right? Um, uh, that is the, 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 the conversation that happens before, right? And then we see, of course, the next day in the Council of Elrond, whereas in the Shadow of the Past, we don't have the, um, uh, the the earlier conversation, right? We just we just are sort of told that it happens, right? Um, but anyway, I think this is um, uh, this is really fun and uh, really interesting to see. One thing that it gives us, I think, um, is 
an indicator of Gandalf's sort of overall approach, right? Um, what Gandalf is up to, essentially, right? What kind of patterns that we can see there? Um, Gandalf's desire to kind of come around to the point. He doesn't lead with the hard stuff, right? Now, here he has a kind of medical reason not to lead with the hard stuff, right? Um, and that makes a certain amount of sense. Um but uh, but even before, he had reasons also then, right? He wanted to wait until the sun was up uh, to tell Frodo too much about, you know, Mordor and the Dark Lord and the Ring, right? He didn't want to do that at night. Um, he wanted to do that while the sun was shining. So in a sense, he, he had a, a sort of an external reason both times uh, to wait until the following day, right, uh, to uh, to reveal all the things. Um, but thinking about the way that that, you know, Irindus, to me, one of the great effects of this parallel that you've drawn is um, that it really, I think, emphasizes something which, you know, I think we'll look at, but no, I'm pretty sure we'll look at it. Um, uh, but anyway, it's it's really great to be anticipating in that in that way. And that is the choice that Frodo makes at the end of chapter two, right? And the choice that Frodo makes at the end of, uh, uh, well, of chapter two, right? Both chapter twos. Um, uh, hey, look, I ran into another parallel, right? Um, you know, we, we talked about this at the end of book one, chapter two, uh, when we were looking at Frodo's choice to, uh, uh, to you know, take the ring and guard it, right? And uh, to, to take it to Rivendell. He doesn't know that he's going any further, right? And we were looking at how Merry and Pippin clearly are operating under the impression that he just is going to be taking it to Rivendell, right? They're just going to Rivendell and back. Um, uh, it seems a simpler kind of proposition from where they're standing, right? Whereas Frodo thinks he's going off into exile, but still doesn't know whether or not, you know, he doesn't have any clear sense of the final uh, mission, whereas he is, of course, taking that upon himself at the end of the Council of Elrond. But still, um, those parallels really uh, invite us to look at those two moments, which are very parallel moments, but but also very different moments, right? Um, Frodo is sort of further along here. Um, yeah, the Mad Violinist wants to uh, rename Chapter 3 Nine is Company. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, why, why not? I like it. Um, yeah, cool. Anyway, so thanks, Irindus, for that. That was, really, uh, that was really fun. Okay, let us get back to the text. You will soon hear all you wish to know, said Gandalf. We shall have a council as soon as you are well enough. At the moment, I will only say that I was held captive. You? cried Frodo. Yes, I, Gandalf the Grey, said the wizard solemnly. There are many powers in the world, for good or for evil. Some are greater than I am. Against some I have not yet been measured. But my time is coming. The Morgul Lord and his black riders have come forth. War is preparing. Then you knew of the riders already, before I met them? Yes, I knew of them. Indeed, I spoke of them once to you, for the Black Riders are the Ringwraiths, the nine servants of the Lord of the Rings. But I did not know that they had arisen again, or I should have fled with you at once. I, I heard news of them only after I left you in June, but that story must wait. For the moment, we have been saved from disaster by Aragorn. Okay. Um, yeah, Lincoln, it is kind of a smooth shifting of the conversation away from his captor. Uh, yeah. 
Um, uh, notice how, Lincoln, he makes that shift, right? I will only say that I was held captive. You? And that next paragraph is a really interesting one, right? Yes, I, Gandalf the Grey. There are many powers in the world. Some are greater than I am. Against some I have not yet been measured. My time is coming. The Morgawarden and his Black Riders have come forth, right? So he shifts the conversation to the Black Riders, right? Um, uh, uh, and... Yeah, it is fairly smooth, right? Uh, because, of course, Frodo is very eager to hear about the Black Riders. Having not given the answer to his question, right? Having not told him um, what, um, you know, why he was late exactly, right? Or at least not explain the whole thing. Um, he then starts telling him about the Black Riders, which, of course, is another thing that Frodo really, really wanted to know. And Stephanie, you're absolutely right. It's a big question. What does Gandalf know? And as Mike adds, when does he know it? Right. Um, and um, yeah, let's see. For Thoughtless, I don't remember exactly when Tolkien added that line um, against some I have not be, I have not yet been measured. If I remember correctly, that was relatively early, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, somebody can look that up if you've got Return of the Shadow, uh, and you can look that up. That'd be helpful to see when that was there. I don't remember offhand. It's a good question, though. Um, anyway, um, so, Stephanie, thinking about the what does Gandalf know and when does he know it question, right? Um, the one thing he says very explicitly, had he known while he was in Bag End, uh, you know, while he was in the Shire, that the Black Riders had come forth, then he would have fled with him at once, right? Um, and it's one of the things that I think is easy to sort of forget about um, in looking at this, is that Gandalf... Um, we've already been thinking about this some, right? Why Gandalf makes the decision that he makes and why that makes sense, right? And the more I've thought about it, the more sense I think it does make um, uh, when we look at it. But, again, this one super important factor, he's already halfway to Rivendell, right? Or not quite halfway to Rivendell, but he's anyway a big chunk of the way out there, right? Um, had he gotten word, like, had Radagast caught up with him in the Shire, he just would have taken Frodo to Rivendell and then gone south, because why go halfway out, right, and then just then take a detour, right? The choice that he had was uh, he meets Radagast south of Bree, right? And he's got no time. Radagast says, you must come now. If he takes the time to go to the Shire and back and then down... He will, um, uh, he might lose whatever opportunity Saruman is presenting him, right? Um, yeah, so, but Mad Violinist, that I think it, it does make sense, right? If there is a way in which trusting Saruman, right, as he has some reason to do, um, then it makes sense. Uh, but it would not make sense. 
Peter Jackson, are you listening? It would not make sense for Gandalf to just leave Frodo in the Shire to go on his own uh, and uh, uh, and head south from there. Um, so, Lalith, yes, this is proof that, proof that Gandalf still had trust in Saruman. And this, this has come up already before, right? We talked about this back when we talked about Chapter 2 of Book 1. Um, it's part, it's a crucial element of Gandalf's... Um, it's a crucial element of Gandalf's failure to identify the One Ring, right? When he began to be suspicious that Bilbo's ring was one of the Great Rings. Why did he not think that it was one of the Great Rings right away, right? Because Saruman had assured him it could not possibly be, right? It was, it was a known. It was one of the knowns that the One Ring had passed down the river to the sea, right? Saruman was the expert on this subject. Gandalf trusted him, and so... He had lots and lots of reason to believe that it could not possibly be the one. So by process of elimination, it must be something else, right? Um, so, um, anyway, um, yeah, um, this is, um, This is definitely another piece of evidence that shows that he does trust Saruman, right? But we'll come back to the Saruman story more when that's told in detail here. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Lalith is asking, what evidence has there been that he will be a traitor? And does he have reason to distrust Saruman at all? Lalith... This is one of the things. There's a a small number of things in Tolkien's later writings, later Lord of the Rings related writings, especially the stuff in Unfinished Tales, which I have a hard time with. Um, and most of them have to do with the Astari, actually. Um, I have a problem with the whole Radagast is a failure argument. That seems like a weak argument to me when Tolkien is trying to make Radagast out to be a failure. Um, uh, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't convince me that uh, for the reasons he gives that Radagast is a failure. The other uh, is, and more importantly, the way that he goes back and... Um, the way that he goes back and explains the um, the way that he goes back and, and explains the relationship between Gandalf and Saruman and sort of the rivalry between Gandalf and Saruman, he makes Gandalf explicitly distrustful of Saruman pretty early on in their relationship, and I have a hard time reading unfinished tales. And imagining that the Gandalf in Unfinished Tales, with the relationship to Saruman that he has in Unfinished Tales, would in fact rush down to Isengard here, right? That he would uh, believe him when he said that the One Ring was lost, right? That's something that um, exactly the smoke ring scene, Lalith, is particularly the one I'm thinking of too. If Gandalf and Saruman are already like that, Right. If then, how is Gandalf taken in? It d doesn't even really make all that sense to me. Um, so anyway, I um, it's what you know. It's not a huge deal. It's not like it's an inconsistency in the published book itself. Uh, it's just as he's expanding on these things later on. It's one of the things that doesn't retroactively fit back with the published story quite as well. Um, 
but um, anyway, uh, yeah, we'll see. But see, Tony, it's not just well. We can, we'll, we can talk about that later. This is not the Saruman discussion, right? This is the portion where he evades talking about Saruman, so let's not talk about it here too much. Um, we'll come back to it. Uh, anyway. Um, notice that Gandalf, he doesn't totally deflect. He does say that he was held captive, right? And well, I want to give Gandalf credit for saying that he was held captive, right? Um, that is the one thing that he does say to, uh, uh, to, to Frodo is sort of like the most embarrassing thing. He gives him what he explicitly asked for, right? Frodo was asking for an explanation. Why didn't you come? Right. Uh, when you were supposed to, and Gandalf admits that he sort of deserves an explanation for that. And the answer is, I was a prisoner, right? I was physically unable to come at the time that I said I would come. Um, so that explains it. Of course, it leaves lots of other questions unanswered. Um, I, I, I like the respect implicit in um, Frodo's question. You, right? Uh, now, he could be teasing Gandalf here, but I suspect he's genuinely shocked, right? Um, you? Who could hold you prisoner, right? He he can't even seem to imagine that, right? Um, and the return, and Tony, I think it was you who was mentioning uh, how rarely Gandalf uses his full title, right? Yes, I, Gandalf the Grey. And uh, if my memory serves Tony, I think that you're right, that the last time he called himself by his name and his title uh, was to Bilbo, right? You will see Gandalf the Grey uncloaked. Um, and that identification was clearly meaningful, right? That was when he was exerting... Um, that was when he was exerting his power, and we we were, you know, we that was that was the scene that started it all, actually, right? It was looking at that scene, that discussion between Bilbo and uh, and Gandalf, as I recall, that got us into the whole. Um, uh, it was that was the first time we looked at a whole passage word for word, right? Um, but anyway, um, when we were looking at that passage carefully, it's clear that in that moment Gandalf is exerting his will, right? He is resisting Bilbo. He is trying to help. Bilbo, right? Trying to resist the domination of the ring over Bilbo's own feelings and everything there. So his identification of himself um, and the uncloaking of himself, right, is also about the revelation, the unleashing of his power, right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Nathan the Wronged, I can see your comments up there, but yes, they're right. I am more likely to see them if you post them in Discord, but I can see them up there, and there's a decent chance that I'll, uh, that I'll be able to comment on them. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, his identification of himself, therefore, in this, um, uh, in this context is clearly to indicate, you know, he realizes... Uh, He's spelling out the implications of Frodo's you, right? Yes, I, Gandalf the Grey, me, being who I am, with the power that I have. And Zephan, that seems to me very sensible. Zephan says, uh, whenever a wizard's color is mentioned, it's a side reference to his power. Um, 
yeah, I, so far that seems to pan out. Well, well let's see, right? Um, yes, I Gandalf the Grey. There are, and and he immediately begins to talk about that, right? There are many powers in the world, for good or evil. Some are greater than I am. Um, some for good and some for evil, presumably both greater than he is. Against some I have not yet been measured, but my time is coming. The Morgul Lord and his Black Riders have come forth. War is preparing. Now, I take this um, I take this as an implication, right? That that transition seems to be, Lincoln, not only as you suggested, a very smooth way of deflecting the conversation, which I think it is, but also uh, setting some things up, right? Um we've spent a lot of time talking about the witch king and what he's doing and the struggles he's been having and, uh, you know, having sort of sympathy for the difficulty in which he's been placed. Gandalf is here setting himself up as the opposite number, right? Um, against whom has he not been yet been measured? Well, against many things like Balrogs, for instance, just to name something arbitrary that he may or may not face. Um, but his mind is immediately on the Morgul Lord and his Black Riders, right? That's what he transitions to, having said that. My time is coming. Um, the time will come when he will be measured against the Morgul Lord and his Black Riders, it seems. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah. Um, and, Johannes, I agree with you. Um, Gandalf is declaring himself to be, as you say, a big piece on the chessboard. Um, yeah, yeah. Notice he doesn't... Notice what he doesn't say here, right? He doesn't reveal much about, like, what his role is exactly, right? Um, he does acknowledge that he's kind of a big deal, right? Which Frodo has sort of pointed to. So on the one hand, he's saying, you know... Um, uh, there are many who are greater than I am. But it's not really... The statement as a whole does not seem to me primarily to be a statement of humility, right? Primarily to be a statement of, uh, of you know, sort of self-denigration. Um, he's not saying, Frodo, don't get the wrong idea, right? I mean, I'm kind of cool, but I'm not, you know. There are, I'm, I'm a pretty small fish at the end of the day, right? That's not what he's saying, clearly, right? Um my time is coming, is what he's saying. Um, he realizes that he is um, uh, positioning himself, right? As, as they're moving forward, he is going to be measured more directly against the others. Um, this is, he's not the sole person in charge of this, but he knows that part of his job is to be one of the forces moving uh, you know, the side of good. And he will therefore be measured against those who are overseeing the side of evil, which leads him to the Morgul Lord and his riders, right? Um, yeah. So, Lincoln, that's why I don't think it's exactly that he is implying that the Nazgul were responsible for his imprisonment. I mean, he does transition to that in response to talking about being held captive. Um, uh, I mean, what I take, the, the, the key thing which leads me, Lincoln, not to think that is that he transitions to the Morgul Lord and the Black Riders after saying he's not been measured against some of those powers, 
right? I've not been measured against some of those powers. My time is coming. The Morgul Lord and the Black Riders have come forth. There seems to be a causal link between those sentences, right? Why is his time coming? Because the Morgul Lord and his Black Riders have come forth. And so the time of their confrontation, of his being measured against him, is to come. It hasn't happened yet, right? Now, of course, Lincoln, as you point out, as you remember... Uh, originally, right in the old versions, in the in the earlier drafts of the story, it was the Black Riders who held Gandalf captive. Um, but I don't even exactly see a memory of. I, I, I don't attribute this just to a memory of that uh, in the story. Um, the uh, the thing. So I mean, one thing if you think again, Lincoln, back to the comment you made before he is diverting the conversation away from what happened to him, right? How, whom, by whom he was held captive and why and where. But what he's diverting the conversation to is in a way a bigger deal, right? That is, he's diverting it away from the past, what did happen in Isengard, and he's diverting it towards the uncertain future. War is preparing, Right? The War of the Ring is coming. The Morgul Lord and his Black Riders have come forth. It is time to confront them. I am going to be measured against them. That's like the big uncertainty, right? In a way, that's kind of freakier than, um, you know, I was held captive, but I escaped, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, well, Arden Crown, there's no evidence of prophecies about Gandalf and what his role is supposed to be. Um, one of my biggest questions, I suppose, would be, to what extent does Gandalf know what his role is supposed to be? Um, how specific is that role exactly? Right? I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, and now here I'm trying to be careful. Uh I know that some of those things are answered, right, in the essay on the Astari uh, in Unfinished Tales, but I'm, I'm disregarding that right now, right? What I, I mean, I'm not saying that that's not interesting, and I don't want to think about that, um, but I want to think about that separately, right? What I'm interested in here is looking at the text and what the published text says, right? Um, because it's kind of fun to see that stuff emerging, right, as we have it. And I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Gandalf knows the one thing right that he knows for sure his time is coming um he has been waiting preparing right um setting things up but his time is coming and that's that's a big phrase right um my time um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, Tony says it's the good guy's version of this is my hour, um, Yeah, Tony, that's a fascinating comparison, isn't it? Gandalf saying, my time is coming. 
and the Witch King asserting, this is my hour. They're very similar. But of course, there's very great irony, right? It is the Witch King's hour, right? But not his hour of triumph. It's his hour of death, right? His time has come. But see, that's um, that's the way that phrase is often used, right? Um, if you think about people who have their time, right, in this sense, um, in English usage, the two most common that I know of are dying people and pregnant women, right? A pregnant woman, like, People will say, like, well, who's about to give birth? People say, it's almost her time, right? Her time is is, is almost here. Um, dying people also, right? If you're on your deathbed, it's almost his time, right? Um, the witch king proclaims that his hour has come, and he's right, but he doesn't know how, right? Um, he's kind of delusional in some ways. Yes, yeah, Stephanie, exactly. It's not like when you're next in line at the post office. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, Gandalf's perception that his time is coming, that it's time for him to shift his role, right? Um, that it's time for him to step forward, Uh in different ways than he's done before, right? Time for him to be measured against those with whom he's not been yet been measured, right? That's, um, or time for him to die, JJ, absolutely. Um, his time is coming. That's also true in multiple ways, right? Um, yeah, Boomful, exactly. Doom is upon him. That's, that is a way to, like, uh, doom, which of course is a, is a word that Tolkien likes a lot. Um, that is that is like the way in the, the the significance of this kind of usage of time, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Carita, I agree. Uh, and uh, uh, someone, uh, yeah, Trifle was talking about this too, about the overlap between dying people and people being about to give birth. Uh, that's true, but I don't think that that's the reason why, right? That it's it's uh, in both cases, it's about like. This it's like the, the moment of doom, right, is coming. Um, the big portentous, you know, occasion. Um, uh, yeah, it would be your time twice if it turned out that you were to die in childbirth. Um, which, yeah, certainly used to happen to like one out of three women, but, um, yeah, cool. Okay, um, let's, um, Let's keep going. Um, yes, for Thoughtless, we should watch for these similar kinds of usages. Uh, in the Council of Elrond, we will hear uh, Aragorn talk this way too. When is his time come? Right? Um, uh, you know, it's one of the things, and absolutely, uh, uh, Tekovic, you're absolutely right. Um, the difference, uh, ultimately... Uh, the usage of time here goes back to the Greek words kairos and chronos, right? Chronos is time, like tick-tock, tick-tock. Um, 
but uh, kairos is the Greek word for time in this sense. Um, like that wonderful passage in the New Testament when Jesus uses the word in the two different words, like in the same sentence, when he says, like, your time, tick-tock, chronos is always with you. Like, my time has not yet come, but your time is always with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus talks that way, too. My time has not yet come, right? Um, which is, you know, why he's uh, not going to Jerusalem yet. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, good, good. Um, yes, Tony, I agree, uh, that, that the wise are watching the movement of the world and being able to see what the important moments are, that kind of perception of, 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 of destiny, right? Of doom. Where are things going? When is the right time? Um, when has the time come? Um, sometimes that's the answer to questions a lot of times people ask questions like why didn't they do something sooner right and the answer is because it wasn't time right uh why isn't it time right i don't know they don't even necessarily know they just know it's not time um yeah so tony it is about seeing the patterns and having the big view um yeah yeah um Bruinier, this is a really good point, and thank you for moving us on to the last paragraph there. Sauron is referred to here as the Lord of the Rings, and it does only happen a few times, right? Um, the nine servants of the Lord of the Rings, that is very formal, right? His identification, very full and very formal. The Black Riders are the Ringwraiths, the nine servants of the Lord of the Rings. Um, clearly, Gandalf uses that title here uh, and notice of course the plural there right <clears throat> he's not the lord of the ring uh, it is not just his ownership of the ring of power that is being emphasized right it is his mastery of all the rings because we're talking about the ring wraiths right uh, since sauron is the lord of the rings the ring wraiths are his nine servants right um, is it an avoidance of the name Sauron? Well, yes, but I don't know if he's, I don't know if this is a, you know, um, he who must not be named uh, moment here. Um, I don't think so. I think, again, what he's doing here, I mean, he is not mentioning his name, right? That's undeniable. But I don't think the point is not to mention his name. I think that the point is to emphasize his role, right? To emphasize his title. Um, why are the ring wraiths so dangerous, right? Why are they his servants? Because don't forget, he's the Lord of the Rings, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, Trifle points out that Gandalf does use the name Sauron uh, in, Shadows, in the Shadow of the Past, so... Yeah, I suspect so. Um, yeah. Johannes, it is an excellent question. Why is the book called The Lord of the Rings? Um, yeah, why is Sauron the titular character of the book? Is an excellent question. Of course, we'll learn eventually what the full title of the book is, right? And that The Lord of the Rings is only... Uh, 
a, you know, a short form, right, of the title. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I agree, uh, uh, Corey. Yeah, he's he does seem to be alluding specifically to the poem which is where he mentioned the nine because he does just, you know, I spoke of them once to you. The black riders are the ring wraiths and the nine servants of the Lord of the Rings. Um, I did, uh, I did talk to you about this, Tony. He did briefly title it the magic ring. Um, one of the exhibits at the, the Tolkien exhibit in New York is the, the title page where he has the magic ring written and crossed out and the Lord of the Rings written underneath it. Um, yes. Um, interesting there as well, though, right? Um, and Nathan, I agree, the title question is really interesting. Um, Nathan's wondering if it's a, a reference to the characters who are not able to give in to it. Um, uh, yeah, in some ways, you know, I mean, it's using the title only, right? I mean, it's not like the book is called Sauron, the Lord of the Rings, right? As Which really places the focus entirely on his character. Instead, um, it's the the whole discussion is you know it kind of leaves it's just on the title right and so you could say there's a certain question of like so who's going to be the lord of the rings right uh are you going to be the lord of the rings frodo are you going to declare yourself the lord of the rings um uh you know that's um that's i think interesting right um Exactly, Ambrosius. Any ring bearer could become the Lord of the Rings, or at least they could delude themselves into thinking they could become the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, Lilith, is it a way to grow ominousness in a sense? Yeah, I think in a sense that that, that sort of works. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I do think that that's, uh, that that's part of it. And, of course, it's, it is about... Uh, spoiler, right? What we will learn is the true title, at least the t- true title begins with, of the downfall of the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, um, uh, you know, ultimately that's um, that's what's going to be going on there. Um, yeah. Yeah, Veronica, we're getting to that scene, which is uh, definitely, we'll be wanting to be remember this passage when that phrase comes up uh, in just a, in just a, a little bit. Okay. We talked about how he would have fled with him at once if he'd known that they had arisen again. He had uh, heard news only after I left you in June. For the moment, we have been saved from disaster uh, uh, by Aragorn, right? And uh, notice the we there, right? This seems to me sort of a generous moment from Gandalf, right? Remember, Gandalf started this conversation by telling Frodo about all the, you know, mentioning all the absurd things that Frodo had done, right? Um, and then sort of taking it back and saying that he thinks well of them. But uh, he doesn't say, you have been saved from disaster by Aragorn, right? Um, on the one hand, they have been saved from disaster in a general sense, right? Like, they all would have experienced disaster had Sauron gotten the ring, um, but I also think there's more than that, right? He messed up, right? He wasn't there. Um, he left Frodo alone in the Shire, which in retrospect was the wrong call, right? He was held captive and prevented from coming back to help. So, I mean, again, it's an understandable failure, but it's, it was still a failure for him to come back, right? Um, you know, in the end, even being overpowered is 
still a failure, right? Even if like, you know, you've got a good reason for it. Uh, nevertheless, it, it didn't pan out. Right. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, both of them, right. Have been doing their best, but they've been, they've done some absurd things and Aragorn has saved them all from disaster. Um, Okay. Let's keep going. Yes, said Frodo. Hang on. Okay. Yes, said Frodo. It was Strider that saved us. Yet I was afraid of him at first. Sam never quite trusted him, I think. Not at any rate until we met Glorfindel. Gandalf smiled. I have heard all about Sam, he said. He He has no more doubts now. I am glad, said Frodo. For I have become very fond of Strider. Well, fond is not the right word. I mean, he is dear to me, although he is strange and grim at times. In fact, he reminds me often of you. I didn't know that any of the big people were like that. I thought, well, that they were just big and rather stupid. Kind and stupid, like Butterbur, or stupid and wicked, like Bill Fernie. But then we don't know much about men in the Shire, except perhaps the Brelanders. Um. Yeah. Um. Tony, I agree. It is interesting that Frodo continues referring to Aragorn as Strider. Um, he's already been told his true name, right? And Gandalf just alluded to him again by his true name, Aragorn, right? Um, and Frider, uh, Frodo continues calling him Strider. Um, I um, That seems to me to be a... Um, uh, I would connect that with his declaration of fondness for Strider, right? Um, Strider's a nickname, and I think he knows. Like, Strider is at this point almost an inside joke, right? To the hobbits. Um, they were introduced to him as Strider, but it's not just that they, like, kind of like that name and, and, and don't want to let it go. Right. He's told them what his real name is and they carry on calling him Strider. Right. Um, and I think that what we're getting there is sort of, uh, a, a, a transition to the kind of friendship, the kind of familiarity that we were seeing growing between them. Right. Um, even as we were looking at their interactions before and the way in which he was, uh, kind of, working with uh with all of them right at different points um anyway uh i've become very fond of strider um remember that again i think they know full well that um strider is a derisive name that he was given right that he it was he it was when he was deliberately posing as a disreputable uh uh footpad right and they're, um, uh, they're conti- exactly, J.J. is recalling, of course, uh, Bill Fernie calling him Stick It Not Strider, right? Bill Fernie makes it perfectly clear that Strider is an insulting name, right? But they keep calling him that. Um, and I don't think it's because they just, like, don't remember any other name or whatever. 
it seems to me to be um, to be an element of the friendship, an element of hobbitry, right? Uh, that they carry on calling him Strider, um, even though they could call him Aragorn, right? But they don't call him Aragorn. And maybe at first it's because they like don't know him well enough to use his uh, full name, right? Remember even Aragorn calls him Mr. Baggins at the beginning, right? Aragorn doesn't just start calling him Frodo immediately, right? Um, uh, anyway, so... I think as they get to know him and get to like him better, they, you know, it may be that their reasons for calling him Strider shifts. But what we're seeing here, I, again, is his declaration of fondness uh, for Strider. Anyway, I think that that all uh, uh, that that all works. Um, yeah. Um, That's interesting. Uh, Seamus asks if uh, Frodo's fondness of Strider is a love for the unexpected beauty in things. Um, Well, I don't know. I mean, certainly he has appreciated Strider's guidance, right? Um, Remember that initial perception that Frodo had. Um, That thing which we were speculating back in the Init Bree might even have been some kind of recognition of one elf friend by another, maybe, right? Um, There was something in Strider that always kind of called to Frodo. Um, You know, he looked foul and felt fair, uh, always, to Frodo. Um, There was something about him that made Frodo want to trust him, and that made Frodo, I don't know, made Frodo like him, right? Um, One of the interesting things in retrospect is that... Uh, he, he didn't have that much time with Strider. I mean, if you think about the total amount of time in which he's known Strider, a big percentage of that time, he's been in an altered state, right? Frodo has spent more of his time, uh, well over 50% of the time that he's known Strider, um, you know, with gray shadows between him and his friends. Um, so that's interesting, right? Um, yeah, yeah. See, I don't know, Ambrosius. It's tempting to say that, that Strider sounds more approachable than Aragorn. Um, but I don't know. I mean, again, Strider... Strider was a super questionable character, right? Um, I mean, Strider was shady, I could imagine a reaction that just went the opposite direction to be like, Oh, Aragorn. Okay. So this Aragorn person who is a friend of Gandalf, right. And has like this poem (laughs) written about him and stuff, which even if I don't fully understand, it sounds pretty good. Right. Um, uh, yes, exactly. Mike Strider is a deliberately off putting, um, uh, off putting facade. Absolutely. Um, So, whereas, again, Aragorn, it might sound more formal, but, like, less shady. So that's probably good, right? Um, Which, again, I think, um, I think, again, that's why I tend to think their usage of it is almost teasing him, right? Um, Because he's, he admitted, right? Basically admitted that Strider was a front. Um, And he revealed his real self to them, and... 
You know, so they saw Strider uncloaked, you know, as Aragorn, son of Arathorn, in a sense. Um, yeah, too old not to, that's exactly how I'm thinking about it. That, you know, now they use Strider and kind of chuckle at it, right? They're sort of teasing him for, uh, they're teasing him good-naturedly about it in the same way that, you know, Bill Fernie was teaching, teasing him bad-naturedly about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's not... Harnuth, it's not that it's an insult to call him Strider exactly, but even when he introduced himself as Strider, he was playing the part of a disreputable vagabond. Um, yeah, yeah. And Irindus points out, of course, that uh, except for Frodo, all the hobbits go by nicknames as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sam's a nickname, Mary's a nickname, Pippin's a nickname. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Belongsmond, you're right. They're going to keep calling him Strider even when they're literally the only people to whom that name means any sense, right? And that's going to, of course, come up for comment later on when they still are calling him Strider and Minas Tirith, right? And uh, like Imrahil and Aemir are going to be a little bit confused about that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yes, we'll get the House of Telkantar later on, but that's almost itself, well, not exactly a joke, but, um, uh, yeah, close. Anyway, we'll come back to his, uh, uh, Strider and Rascality later on, uh, Bricktail's exactly as you were just recalling there. Um, um, so yeah, I, my own reading, I, to me, what, what seems to fit best is that, they're carrying on calling him Strider because they think it's funny, right? Um, and I think he accepts it because he can. He knows, I think, Hobbits well enough to know, uh, even just from knowing Bilbo, I think he knows Hobbits well enough to know uh, that if they're sort of teasing him like that, they're accepting him, right? And we've seen that they're kind of... Um, I think it's cheeky of them to carry on calling him Strider, honestly, Um but that's okay. Like that's the way that they are. And he seems to, to accept that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cecilia, it might be easier for them to relate to him as, uh, as Strider. Um, but they don't really know what Aragorn means, right? All they know about Aragorn, right? I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Uh, he's declared his real name. Um, the only thing they know about it is that he's a friend of Gandalf, right? Um, as we are about to see, Frodo has no idea what his true name points to, right? Um, so they're not exactly, like, intimidated, necessarily, by Aragorn. Um, uh, they just, um, or again, like, by the name, I mean, because they don't know what it means, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Rococo asks if they're all concerned about, if they're at all concerned about keeping Aragorn's identity a secret. Um, yeah, obviously, as you say, Rococo, not in this instance, um, but before, maybe, but they've been out on their own. I mean, I don't think they're much worried about being overheard, like in the Midgewater Marshes and stuff. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, 
yeah, Seamus wonders if Sam had a little moment with Gandalf about Strider, uh, really checking to see if he's okay. It, it, it seems, doesn't it seem almost as if that lies behind Gandalf's comment, right? I have heard all about Sam. He has no more doubts now, right? What happened? What happened? How is it exactly that Sam's uh, uh, doubts have been finally put to rest? Is it just referring to the post-Glorfindel um, commentary, right? Like that, you know, now that they've met Glorfindel, Sam trusts him. Um, or is it, uh, uh, is there some other story that Gandalf is alluding to that we're not being told about, right? Um, you know, it's when Gandalf had to assure him himself. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, too old not to, that would be a fun scene to write, wouldn't it? Um, Marianne, it's possible that Aragorn helped in Frodo's healing. I mean, he certainly did before, and Sam seemed to believe that at that point. But yet, you know, Sam is pretty skeptical and seems to have retained his uh, uh, his doubts to some extent. Um, but yeah, Tony, I agree. Between Gorfindel, Gandalf, and Elrond, uh, Sam is probably convinced now, right? That uh, Which, of course, points out an interesting thing. Sam is not quick to trust, right? We've seen him be the slowest to trust. However, he immediately trusts elves, right? Any elf, apparently, right? He doesn't need to know anything about Glorfindel. He doesn't need to have to find out if Glorfindel is one of the good sorts of elves, right? He um, he seems to uh, um, uh, uh, just trust all the elves right away, which is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Sharon's asking if Sam would have trusted Feanor implicitly, right? (laughs) Well, exactly what I was thinking. I mean, you know, automatically trusting every elf you meet isn't necessarily wise, but that's, um, um, uh, that's nevertheless, you know, where Sam is. Um, but I agree, uh, uh, who was, oh yeah, Seamus, um, Gandalf's smile, right? Um, Sam never quite trusted him, I think, not at any rate until we met Glorfindel and Gandalf smiles, right? I have heard all about Sam, right? Um, I really like the affection that Gandalf shows for Sam and the affection and I think respect that Gandalf is showing for Sam's stubbornness here, right? Um, I think part of what is behind that smile of Gandalf's there, remember Gandalf appointed Sam to be Frodo's companion, right? And I think that Gandalf is smiling to see how that's been panning out so far, right? Um, The tenacity with which Sam has been, you know, Frodo's champion and protector, right? Uh, is um, something that seems to make Gandalf smile, I think. Um, Exactly, JJ. I think he's thinking Sam is taking his appointed task very seriously, and uh, 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 Gandalf's kind of amused by that, right? Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. Uh, Yeah, and Tony, you are right. Aragorn has also positive prejudice about elves, especially elves who are possibly going to be his future in-laws, but we'll come to that later in a couple years. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, good. Briala, you're right. Gildor also told Sam to protect Frodo and stick by his side, uh, which I suspect that Gandalf has heard about, and also that probably makes him smile, too. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> okay, let's see. Frodo's clarification of fondness. Why isn't fond the right word? Do you think? What exactly is Frodo groping with, groping to articulate here? I've become very fond of Strider. Well, fond is not the right word. I mean, he's dear to me, though he is strange and grim at times. In fact, he reminds me often of you. Yeah. Mad Violinist says, you are fond of a peer. Frodo has the sense that Aragorn is something higher and deeper, to use Mary's words. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it would not seem appropriate to be fond of someone who was, who was above you, in that sense, right? Um, peer, I think, is a really important word there, uh, Mad Violinist. I think that, 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 seems, that seems quite right. Um, he does still want to express. Um, uh, yeah, and Mike, I, I agree. The implication seems to be that he's suggesting to Gandalf exactly that uh, I'm not fond of you either, <laughs> right? Not in that sense. He, he reminds me often of you, right? Um, Frodo would also not say I'm fond of Gandalf. Um, there's too much respect for that, right? Um, but yeah, for Thoughtless, maybe he would say he's fond of Gandalf. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, Son of Saradoc, excellent question. Uh, how do we think Frodo means the word grim here? Um, though he is strange and grim at times. Now, uh, oh, I can't even remember when this came up. It was a while back, but, uh. I don't remember. In some context, somewhere, somebody was... Just, I'm getting old. Uh, in some context, somewhere, somebody was pointing out the correlation between grimness and authority, right? Kingship, specifically. Um, the, Tolkien uses the word grim to describe kings and kingly people most of the time. Like, the, uh, most of the time somebody's described as grim, it's often... Um, uh, you know, a bard is grim, right? Um, Strider is grim. Um, grimness is kind of a, a royal thing. Was it here, Mad Violence? I could remember if it was in this discussion or not. Um, back during the uh, back during the the Strider chapter discussion, maybe. Um, uh, anyway, it certainly shouldn't surprise us to hear that Aragorn is grim at times. Um, uh, he is strange and grim at times. Um, the grimness. So notice we're talking, you know, our first reaction to his impulse that fondness isn't the right word is the business that like about how he doesn't feel like he's like uh, Aragorn is his peer. And I think that that's right. But, um, but I don't, but notice it's not what he says, right? When he tries to clarify it, He's like, okay, so 
on the one hand, he is dear to me, right? So there's 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 affection there. There's there's love there towards Aragorn. And then on the, when he gives the other side, right? So here's here's then the so 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 there is dearness, which would so fondness seems appropriate, but so that's the reason fondness would seem appropriate. Well, why doesn't it seem appropriate? Because he's strange and grim, at times, right? Um, okay, strange and grim. His grimness gets in the way of fondness. What's he saying? Like, uh, he's dear to me. Like, I, I care about him, but he's not always fun to be with. Right? Is that what he's saying? Right? He's grim at times, and he's strange. He's weird. Right? Like he's and yes, mad violinist. It does get in the way of hobbitry. Remember those scenes when we looked at a couple of them, right back in the, um, back in the marshes, right? Um, when like Strider is playing the the buzzkill role, right there, all the hobbits are all having a good time, and then he busts in and he's like, "Do not say that name so loudly," right? Uh, 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 or do not say such things, right? I mean, it's like, okay, Mr. Grimm, right? You know, it's a little hard to be fond of you because you're not that much fun, right? You're not as much fun. Okay, Dad, <laughs> exactly, Mad Violinist, exactly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in that sense, he doesn't he doesn't relate to everybody. Now, again, we saw, like, the jokes with the troll and stuff, and, and, and yeah, we do see that, you know, he's not just a... Uh, 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 stick in the mud all the time, right? Um, yeah, but but um, he he's he's not he's not the same, right? Um, strange. Why the strangeness? Why does he say that? Though he's strange, he's different. I guess. Um, yeah. He doesn't understand him. Yeah, O'Malley, that's a great way to think about that. He doesn't understand him. Um, yeah, he's not... I don't think it just means, like, he's weird. Like, he's kind of weird, right? He is strange. He is different. Um, he is not... Do an experiment here. When is the word fond used otherwise? Somebody do, somebody, those of you with e-texts open right there. Do a search for me. Um, I remember Bilbo saying that he's very fond of his garden. Right? Uh, where else is the word fond used? Where else do we see a hobbit, especially, saying that he's fond of something? The only one that comes immediately to mind is Bilbo in his garden. Uh, yeah. Fatty was said to be fond of Frodo. Yes. Yes. He's, he's fond of Frodo, but he's not willing to go into the old forest. Okay. 
It's used 19 times in the Lord of the Rings. How many times prior to this? And what and what are the context of them? I want I want I want context. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to understand is what is Frodo's concept of fondness, right? Not our concept, but his concept. Bilbo, right? Good. It's in his speech. Um, I'm immensely fond of all of you. Good. He's immensely fond of the. Uh, 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 Yes, good, good. The hobbits are said to be fond of food and drink in the prologue. Okay. Notice what all these things are having uh, in common so far. Bilbo's garden, hobbits' food and drink, Bilbo's friends and relations, right? Bucklanders are fond of boats. Okay, okay. The prologue ones I'm kind of discounting because that's not like their usage, Right, it's being said of them, which it's still relevant, but it's not. Um, yeah, being fond of yellow and green clothes. See, it's it's. Uh, um, I, I, I'm more interested in seeing the way that hobbits themselves use it. It does seem to lean towards happy things. It seems to lean towards very homey things, very familiar things. Um. That I, I, I keep coming back to that the one scene that I thought of off the top of my head, Bilbo's you know how bright your garden looks says uh, uh, says Gandalf right and Bilbo says yes I'm very fond of it right I'm very fond of my garden um, domestic things Tony yes yes um, yeah um, right Bjorn is not over fond of dwarves sure. Sure. Um, yeah, Penloth, this is exactly what I'm uh, um, what I'm getting at, right? I think this helps us understand why he says fond is not the right word and why, in explaining why fond is not the right word, he immediately says he's strange, right? Um, it's about comfort. Good, Johannes. Tom and Goldberry are fond of parties. That's good. We are fond of parties. It's in his song. Good, good. Um, these are the things that we like. Um, yeah, that helps us establish his paradigm. So something strange. He is dear to him, right? And the dog, the little dog is mighty fond of jokes. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Um, but the strangeness of him as well as the grimness of him um, I wonder if the and grim at times is an expansion of strange right in what way Frodo is he strange right well he's pretty grim at times I mean again we saw the kind of cultural differences there right you know those uh, uh, do not speak that name so loudly moments right where he's just not in the flow of the conversation right he's strange He's different. He is not domestic to old Natu, absolutely. Um, it is possible that um, Frodo is fond of Gandalf because Gandalf is a home thing, right? Uh, he is used to Gandalf being in Bag End. Gandalf is kind of, a, if not a daily fixture, still a regular fixture, right? And something that he has been, that he has known and been associated with for much of his life. So um, it's possible that he might say that he is fond of Gandalf. But 
Aragorn, yes. Definitely, Tony, just as you say, definitely not domestic or familiar. Aragorn is not a tame human. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, exactly. So, um, yeah, that seems that seems to me to be... That, that, that helps me understand what Frodo's trying to get at there. Now, keep in mind, I don't think that... Um, uh, I don't think that the things that we were saying at first, his perception that Aragorn is not exactly his peer, right? I don't think it's irrelevant, but that doesn't, that's not what Frodo himself is, seems to be thinking of, right? Um, what I'm interested in, thinking towards, um, thinking towards the, uh, um, uh, thinking towards the use of Strider that we were talking about before the Hobbit's continued use of Strider long past the time when it becomes normal at all for anybody but the four of them. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. Strider is going to shift around, right? Um, Strider will cease to be strange. He will become familiar. Um, and in a sense, they're going to begin almost clinging to him right, as a familiar thing in a world which is going to become stranger and stranger around them, right? Um, yeah, Seamus, I think that's a really good way to say it. It's not exactly, um, it's not exactly, uh, at least he does not speak of anything like a perception of a class-like separation, but rather of him being an unknown. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's more, more sort of in that, uh, more sort of in that, in that line. Anyway, okay, so on to uh, Frodo's proclamation of ignorance about uh, the big people, right? Um, I didn't know that any of the big people were like that. Like what? Hang on a second. What's his pronoun referring to? Like Gandalf? In fact, he reminds me often of you. I didn't know that any of the big people were like that. Hmm. Like Gandalfish? He certainly knew that some of the big people were strange to him, right? I can't imagine their grimness would have been a surprise. I didn't know that the big people were grim. Um, no, I'm just interested in trying to... I didn't know that any of the big people were like that. I thought they were just big and rather stupid. Kind and stupid, like Butterbur, or stupid and wicked, uh, like Bill Fernie. But then we don't know much about the men, men in the Shire, except perhaps the Brelanders. Um, yeah. I'd never really thought about that sentence before. I didn't know that any of the big people were like that. Yeah, Tiber's asking, why doesn't Frodo say, you big people? Um... Yeah, Tiber, what that really points me to, notice the the fact implicit behind all of this, the connection with Gandalf, the whole discussion here, right? The unstated thing that Frodo, the unstated sort of basis of Frodo's statements is that wizards are different, right? Um... Or Gandalf, at least, is different. In fact, 
he reminds me often of you. He seems sort of surprised, yet Marianne, I agree. Certainly, Frodo seems to have considered Gandalf to be in a class by himself. Absolutely. What is Frodo discovering? That perhaps Gandalf is not quite so alone and, sig- and singular as he had imagined him? Uh, sorry, I'm a spoiler. Quoting Elrond from much later on, the next chapter. Um, so Frodo's surprise which I think is what he's pointing to when he says are like that, is like Gandalf. He assumes that um, yeah, he assumes that the big people aren't anything like Gandalf, or Gandalf isn't like any, you know, he does not lump Gandalf in with big people. He thinks that does Frodo assume that Gandalf is human? Presumably not, right? Presumably he doesn't. And he therefore expected all the humans that he met to be very unlike Gandalf. And then he goes on to explain the way in which he expected them to be unlike Gandalf. And mostly he expected them to be stupid, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bruner says, hey, Frodo, some of my best friends are big people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Seamus. That was what I was thinking, too. Seamus says, I doubt Frodo thinks Gandalf is human, just with the reality of him being around since the old took. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't think that he would class Gandalf. I don't think he knows exactly necessarily what Gandalf is, but... Uh, He's not, he never took him as, you know, like, I know Gandalf, so I know big people, right? That's clearly the opposite of Frodo's thinking, right? So the surprise that Frodo is registering is, hey, Aragorn is kind of like you, right? Not at all like my picture of big people, right? Um, Tiber's asking, and uh, uh, this is um, uh, also implicit in... Uh, uh, somebody else was talking about this too, but I lost track of it. Um, that uh, um, wouldn't Frodo's perception of humans have come from Bilbo's stories, that he would have heard stories about the, the lake men and stuff like that. Um, it makes you wonder what kinds of stories uh, Bilbo has told, right? Um Yeah. Um, Fourth Dauntless, that's a really... That's a really interesting question. Why don't elves count as big people? I mean, in sheer scale, they're roughly human-sized, right? Um... If anything, they tend to be a little taller, right? So why wouldn't they call them, you know, the big people and the little people seems to refer to humans specifically and hobbits, Um, not just hobbits and everybody 
of a of a certain scale of a certain scale um so yeah i'm not really is it because hobbits are an offshoot of humans well yeah to what extent are hobbits even thinking about that right um yeah yeah Iwindillian, that's ten that tends to be what I'm thinking too. Elves are just way different, right? And all hobbits have a sense that elves are just in a different category, right? Nobody's gonna lump them uh into a a, a group with the humans, right? Um now Omali, I agree, they're probably not that familiar with elves either, but if they were totally unfamiliar, that would lead them perhaps just to lump them, right? But yeah, no, Tony exactly. Elves are very other. Um yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mike, that's an interesting, interesting way of thinking about it. Um, elves and or hobbits and men are people. Elves are something above that. Yeah. Something like that in a category by themselves. Omali. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. So. His prejudices, um, Frodo's prejudices about people right what are humans like big and rather stupid right the word rather i think is generous on frodo's i think he's being generous rather stupid right um doesn't mean that they're all dumb as posts right but they're kind of stupid and i think where this comes from is um uh back to who was talking about blundering. Yes, Mad Violinist. Yes. Um, In the prologue, we hear about um, the... or And in The Hobbit, right? You know, when... uh, In Chapter 1 of The Hobbit, when we're learning about what a hobbit is, right? Um, And how easily they can hide, right? When... uh, uh, one of the big people like us comes stomping along, you know, blundering along, making a sound that they can hear for miles. Right. Um, yes, exactly. That's, that seems to be the kind of image that Frodo is invoking when he is here betraying this sort of Hobbit stereotype of humans. Um, big and rather stupid, going blundering around, making all this noise, um, barely aware of your surroundings, right? Super easy to hide from. Um, yeah, Briala, I agree. Stupid seems to be akin to clumsiness. Um, also, When a word that Tolkien uses has like a simple modern connotation and also an older connotation, I'm always reluctant just to assume that he only means the modern one, right? When we call somebody stupid, the word stupid in our vocabulary is a synonym for unintelligent, right? Stupid is the opposite. You know, stupid and intelligent are opposites, right? Those are antonyms in our vocabulary. Fairly simply 
antonyms, right? If you're not intelligent, you're stupid. If you're not stupid, you're smart, right? Um, so that is when we use the word stupid, that's almost all it means. But the word stupid um, has a an older meaning, right? And it is connected with the word stupor, right? To be in a stupor. So just to be stupid, stupid is a word that is used to describe in many older texts, used to describe that feeling that you have when you just woke up, right? And your head is not clear and still really foggy and you still feel very stupid with sleep, like you're still in a stupor. Um, not like really aware of your surroundings. Kind of like people who go blundering through the woods making a noise like elephants that hobbits can hear a mile away. Right? Um, uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's... that's uh, um, Yeah, good. Exactly. The Mad Violinist says that Alice was sleepy and rather stupid at the beginning of her adventures um, uh, before she saw the White Rabbit. Yes. Yes, um, exactly. That's that's a that's a good example of the the old usage of the word stupid. So um, exactly, Tony, if you have a head injury or if you're drunk, you will also be stupid. Um, so um, anyhow, I, 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 I'm thinking of the that old definition fits really well with the, that idea of the blundering, clueless um, uh, uh Humans are barely even aware of their surroundings, right? Um, just big, big and rather stupid. By which he doesn't necessarily mean unintelligent, but means more broadly clueless, dopey, right? Unintelligent, not unintelligent, but unaware, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, JJ is interested in the fact that uh, Mr. Good Morning, right, from The Hobbit, uh, is taking Frodo's one sense of stupid and turning it around to deny the other uh, uh, meaning of stupid. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, again, I don't think that the modern usage of stupid is irrelevant here. I'm just not sure that it's the entire story. Kind and stupid like Butterbur. And of course, by the way, you can see how the old version of stupid came to be the modern version of stupid, right? Um, uh, you know, to, to say that someone is just to, to describe someone as stupid, uh, it's like it's like you're in a stupor all the time, right? Like, you know, yeah, when you're kind of out of it and not really able to put things together and pretty kind of slow on the uptake, right? Yeah, that's you all day, every day, right? It's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's easy to see how it sort of gets there, Um yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, and so, Briella, I agree. Butterbur, clueless, right? Uh, not always, um, uh, you know, quick on the uptake, right? Kind of muddled in his thinking. You know, uh, it's a label that could be made to stick on Butterbur. Right? Potentially. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I guess the way that I would ultimately characterize Frodo's sort of the, the, the stereotype that Frodo was articulating here, big and clueless, big and oblivious, right? That's how they think like, you know, clumsy and oblivious um, is how they tend to think of the big people, right? And then he clarifies kind and stupid, like Butterbur, like Butterbur is kind of clueless, but he means well. Right. And certainly Butterbur came off that way to them. Right. Or stupid and wicked. Right. Clueless and wicked. Right. So Bill Fernie does not mean well. Um, and he kind of bumbles around like the whole I'm going to cut up the bolsters. Right. Sort of suggests that. Um, uh, remember, the last they saw Bill Fernie was when Sam hit him in the face with an apple. Right. And he was like ducking down behind the fence, holding his face. Right. Uh, it's kind of cussing through his through his hands. Right. As his hands are over his face, uh, uh, which is not a good look. Right. That doesn't say smoothly competent. And and uh, uh, um, so, yeah, standing there, leaning over the fence, spitting and calling people names uh, and uh, not keeping his face out of sight so it doesn't get hurt. A little coolest. Right. A little bit oblivious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can see Frodo's thinking here and the way in which he is sort of trying to justify his stereotype. But let's not forget the overall context. The overall context is his saying, OK, Strider doesn't fit. Right. Strider definitely does not fit the stereotype. I didn't know that any of the big people were like that. Right. That competent, that um, uh, because notice they were the ones, the hobbits were the ones who were stupid and blundering compared to to Strider, right? It was him who had to show them what to do, who had to show them where to go, who had to, you know, teach them not to, you know, be hopeless, <laughs> right, uh, on their journey. Um, it was the complete reverse. His role was the complete reverse of the stereotype. Um and so Frodo has in his new experience of humanity, right, um, a new model, a new exception. Gandalf was the only person who kind of looks like a human, but he's he's clearly different, right? And he is surprised to find Aragorn is not like the stereotypes of humans that he's seen. Instead, he's more like Gandalf, right? And that seems to be what he doesn't know that any of the big people are like, Um yeah, yeah. Now, Tony, it is interesting. The difference between men and hobbits becomes important in choosing the ring bearer. Um, yeah, yeah. Hobbits and men are not the same. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay. I'm tempted to go on to another slide, but it's a little late to start a new slide. Uh, so I think I'm going to stop there um, uh, with uh, when Gandalf, of course, is going to turn this sta this uh, statement around uh, on Frodo. Um, but we will uh, we'll start with that next week. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye to the people who were successful in joining me on Twitter. Um, and um, uh, we're going to shift over to the to We're going to keep going on the Twitch channel and through Discord. It's field trip time, right? It's going to go back to Rivendell and keep looking around Rivendell. Um, but um, 
Uh, thanks. We got two, two slides, Tony. We did two slides tonight. Uh, anyway, okay. So thanks everybody for joining us for our book discussion. To say goodbye on Twitter. Thank you. There. Good night. And good. And now we're gonna shift over here. All right. Good evening, everyone. Valori here. Good evening, Valori. How are you? Quite all right. Quite all right. Ready to blunder loudly through the forest. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that. Disturbing let's, all the hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's let's blunder around. Okay. I actually I actually remember when I was first read that when I was a kid. I would actually make. I was very very careful to walk very quietly in the forest after that. Making it sound like elephants, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Plundering around like elephants in the forest. Now I used to. I use that special sort of uh, uh, that bit where you roll the heel so you don't leave a sound. I always right. imagined elves used that when they walk. Right. Yeah. 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 I miss being eleven sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's head off towards Rivendell. I think we can. We can just go straight we should be able to just uh stable our way there though it's in times like this that i wish that we could get there from uh west Bree instead of south Bree only mm-hmm. probably so which do you think is faster running through town or going over to the west gate stable and and traveling from there to uh the South Bay. I, I, I'd ride to the stable from here because uh, everyone will be going to the other stable right now for Spring Festival. Ah, uh, right. So it's going to be crowded and laggy in that area. Okay. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Can we get out of the laggy bits to Sanctuary? Yes, exactly. This, we had discussed the possibility of doing some spring festival, but it's still kind of kind of crowded and laggy, right? Yeah, just a bit, just a bit. Yeah, it's like it's fine, but you got to turn your render, you know, all the way down. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know tricky. something about today. Though today was difficult. I couldn't even get across the brie fields. Mm. Could just yes. be my setup. Uh, uh, tells me we are on Arkenstone tonight. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Let's see the new flower story quests. JJ says, "Is that the one you you were telling me about, Valoria?" Yeah, that's that's the yeah, one yeah, that yeah. takes you actually goes into some history of Arnor here, and I think you know, I think most of us thought of you when we started I'm doing excited. that. I'm excited. Well, we certainly have done our share of Arnorian history here. Uh, in our field, no architecture so to look at. I will. I can't divulge that much. There's no. Uh, That's okay. There's no architecture. To look That's okay. At. And now it's just a question of fitting the history to the architecture. So, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. All right. I don't know if I've clicked on the stable master for this. Thank oh, God I'm a hunter. You have an uncover. That's all right. I'm a hunter. Ruined. That's okay. cool. You're a hunter, right? Cool. Uh, I'll get there. All right. Let's head back over to the last homely house here. Okay. 
All right. Let's see if I can make it on horseback without falling off a bridge. <laughs> this is why these narrow bridges are why I uh, use the word Rivendell as a verb. When I talk about Rivendelling a bridge, it just means running straight <laughs> off the side. Especially when, when I'm lagging. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. No, there's a, a, my friends had introduced me to a YouTube channel where a lawyer is going over the various uh, infractions and uh, accusations against fictional characters. Like uh, he examined uh, the court case of the people versus uh, Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Like what they would be accused of. So that's the big question in Rivendell. Is this uh, criminal negligence or gross <laughs> negligence? Right. Right. I mean, was this were, were the bridges created like this with the specific intent to dismount people by throwing them into the icy rivers, or was this just something they hadn't considered? See, I think it's back to the blundering, right? You know that like <laughs> the elves all assume that like no, obviously no one is going to fall off these narrow, delicate bridges, and they really don't need proper guardrails or anything like that because only some like, you know, stupid blundering oaf laggy would, uh, human. Yeah, exactly. Would be falling off them. You don't experience lag on our servers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sorry, I'm just, I'm looking at the statues up there. I think we have all, so we've got the, I'm looking towards, we've got the Luthien down on the ground floor and then we've got the Celebrimbor and the uh, Gilgalad up above them. I just think we have we have all of them. Yeah, no, they've been shuffled around down here. Now we've got the Gilgalad on the ground floor. Yeah. Both Makes me wish I could find, we could find that one room that we end up in in the High Elf uh, encounter. Yes. Yes. wonder where that is in this. It's upstairs across, uh, opposite from where Elrond's place is. Oh, interesting. But we can't get in, right? Yeah, I'm so assuming you can get in at any time. Oh, <gasps> really? Oh, sure. Yeah. You can even fish in the ponds. Oh, oh so cool. Man, I have not been here in a while. <laughs> or rather, you know, that's the problem when they do updates. You always assume you've explored everything, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, let's go. Because last time we just ported out of there. Right here next to this minstrel. Whoa. Yeah, look at this. You can Whoa. tell this is a late edition, right? It's the doorway into... <laughs> it's sort of like... It's like the opposite of the door and You know, like the door in the air at the end of Prince Caspian, right? It's like the door on yeah, the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The door on the wall. Oh, man. You can tell this is later because of how much details and everything. Ooh, it's been have, here for uh, quite some time, actually. Has it? Well. Mm-hmm. Quite some Since time. Since the high elf or before? Before the High Elves came out. Before the no. High Elves came out, this was here? Yep, really? Yeah. Wow. I wonder at what point I just stopped opening doors. That's the big question. Whoa. Yeah, I know, There's right? a lot of foliage in here for a closed roofed... I'm like looking up at the roof. Seem to be I think it's supposed to be glass, through. but... Is that going yeah, on? there's sunbeams. I guess guess it's supposed to be glass. It's like those uh, greenhouses in uh, Arid Lewin. 
Oh, and we've got the air tapestry. Okay. Oh, I like that. All the water and all the sunlight, you know, it's just, you know, it's going to be like hazy in here, you know? Right. Like, what a bad place to store books. And store True. fish. You can fish in these little in these little uh, ponds. <laughs> what? Yes. Oh, it's for burn victims. I get it. Sure. That's actually. Yeah, no, that's you can actually. That's yeah. a that's a valid way of. I don't have the fishing skill. That is a valid way to heal burned skin is by putting a fish skin on it. Well, Keeps there it you moist go. while the skin forms underneath it. Okay. They'd apparently been doing that in Thailand for centuries. So the elves hmm. could know about it, in theory. This table is super bright. It's like opal or something. What is the story with this table? Is there sunlight shining directly down on this table? No. Why There's a it... lamp above it. There's a pink lamp. Why is it why is this? table shining like a thousand suns right in my face. I don't, I don't it's even... like those tables in the cantina in Star Wars. The glowy tables. I always wanted a glowy table like in the cantina. And then there's that bowl of mercury or something that uh, we have here. Which is presumably sure. water? The Mirror of Elrond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Mirror of Elrond is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the, all these wine glasses around here. Who's drinking this much wine? Or are they? Do they dip it into the water? It's Miravore. Is this, this Miravore? Yeah, this, this is this the... is a resting place, a healing place. So this would be Miravore, this... which is why it looks different. Does it need to breathe? Is that why it's set out like that? Is it in? Is that why it's in? Like the magical quality of it? Is that why it's in continual motion? I mean, it looks like we're on board a ship or something. Uh, but we're not, I mean, like it shouldn't be doing that, right? I mean, yeah, it, I know, it's right? alive. It, uh, it's, um, very strange. We're indoors here after all. Um, but uh -huh. yeah, anyway, yeah. Just like the fact that I mean, you can't avoid this, like with your eye. I mean, it's very strange. So yeah, that probably is Miravore. So people just dip into it. Is it part of the fermentation process to have it in a shallow dish like this? I don't know. I don't know. Um, what is the process of Premier for? And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that certainly the visual effect of this, especially, you know, even like on its little dais here, right? Um, mm -hmm. It is hard to not think of the mirror of Galadriel here. Oh, um, yeah. And... You know, I, I mean, whether or not that parallel is intentional, it's it's interesting, especially if the water there, right? If this liquid is Miravore, because what we have there is then a kind of a direct juxtaposition, right? Between the waters of Goadriel, right? Of Goadriel's mirror. And uh, the healing waters. And of the healing waters of Elrond, right? You've got the waters which are the power of Goadriel and the waters which are the power of Elrond. So was this also charmed by Elrond's wing? Um... Yeah. Well, I suppose, likely. Um, you know, now, Goadriel has the Ring of Water. Yeah. Uh, so the association with water is a little bit more, you know, sort of 
makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's but, just it's just kind of interesting that they're both known for magic healing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, I mean, Although, you don't drink you don't arose. drink the mirror of Galadriel, of course. No, you don't drink it. You don't drink it. Yeah, that we know of. But um. But yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, healing. We know, though. I mean, that's Elrond's bag, right? So, um, you know, Miravor. I'm not saying Miravor is the core of his power, but it is certainly an expression. No, no, no. It's a it's a beverage. It's a nice beverage. I make it for yeah. parties with cucumber waters and vodka. Right, right. Um, I, Tony still says that this is Elrond's pensive here, uh, which also seems possible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where he puts things he wants to forget. Well, yeah, if I drink enough uh, alcohol, I forget stuff too. <laughs> like how I came to be on this floor <laughs> with the police helmet. Is there anything in the middle here? Well, I mean, yeah, what's in the middle here is the statue. Mosquitoes! Of oh, yes. Well, there's the statue of Luthien, and then there's that also one of the Gilgalad one on the other side. That's the one that Elrond points out to you when he, you know, tells you, "Oh, by the way, you think you've been asleep five minutes, but guess what's happened?" Right, Gilgalad is now a is now a commemorative statue. Yes, yes. He turned um, to stone. No, it's a statue. Yeah. And of course, we have the Elbereth behind the bookshelf. Um. Yeah. Yeah. In more than one place, I think. So it, where's uh, the? Okay, oh, here's the. Definitely the, the, the yeah. Definitely Alberth was put in first, and then the book they oh, decided. Right. There's the, there's the go-go idea. Bookcases in this place that's full of natural plant life and moisture and sunlight. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, maybe that maybe they're magic books that don't suffer moisture damage. Well, it's a function of the you know. Uh, Elrond has the Ring of Air, so you know. Okay. Can, okay. Yeah. There we go. So there's good ventilation in here. You preserve the books. And the candles here are acting as dehumidifiers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. This concerns me. This concerns me when a lore master is keeping books in a place that is guaranteed to decay them. Right. But he can preserve them. It's uh, preserving yes. things. It's what they do. Okay. Right? All right, no so we're going to get like that wonderful new book smell when we open it, and not that mildew goodwill smell. No, no. All right. Ooh, wait, hang on. We've got these two other pools here, which are looking the same. Yeah, those are also an astonishing motion there. I love how you get the tapestry of stars reflected into the water, too. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of uh, Nimrodel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> JJ's wondering if the ring of air can control temperature as well as humidity. And if so, it's definitely the ring that, uh, is definitely the ring she wants. I agree. Uh, yeah. uh, that would be handy. Especially on the East coast. Oh my gosh. Cause it's not the temperature. It's the humidity. Okay. Let's see. So the studies we on the other side, right? When we did that last week, the study, yep. Yep. um, What's over here? Can we get anything over here? I don't know. Now, I, I'm, now I'm not sure I of know, anything. right? I'm like wanting to go into all the rooms because I didn't even know that I'd get in there. Yeah. Not a door, not a door, not a door, not a door. Fun oh. windows, though. Yeah. Oh. Dead end. Oh. 
This shifty looking. Oh, he's a burglar, huh? Fakers. Oh, Ray, is, is, is this the burglar trainer? Yeah, burglar trainer. I still don't. I mean, I started playing the game too late to have any understanding of what on earth a trainer is and why. Like, they're just these strange relics standing all around the place. Ooh, yeah, let's go through the. Let's go through here. The balcony. What's out here? It's a balcony, right? I've been here like once or twice in my life. Mm-hmm. It's so Whoa. pretty on here. Oh, whew. For a second there. Sorry, it took a second for the floor to uh, <laughs> appear on my screen. So we're all like hovering in the waterfall there for a second. Surprise, Cody! <laughs> <laughs> wow, all right. This door leads to certain death. Um, <laughs> okay, so. You have to go boom, 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 certain death. That waterfall. I, okay. I know it's so it's so pretty. Goes all the way up too. So, what room does the council take place in? Well, there's a later council that takes place on this balcony. Right. This is in with the game. The, in the Epic Quest, right? Volume one uh-huh. of the Epic Quest, right? You come out so and you I, meet with them here. I think we're given to understand that the Council of Elrond was also here, because it's. In the last homely house, but it's away from everything. There's the pine woods up on the slopes that Frodo's fantasizes about getting up into. Mm-hmm. Oh, some cypress trees here. Now, I'm trying to think. I know Peter Jackson also thought that the council would take place in a sort of more of an open-air Yes. I'll have to. We'll have to pay attention to how they describe the scenario. Oh, it's just sort of my brain skips to the talking. Yeah, I, yeah. It will be interesting to see what cues we get from the text. It is something that's uh-huh. easy to skip over, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what it says about it, and I don't exactly. Yeah, um, me neither. I, I agree, Katriana. This does seem like it would be a pretty bad place for a council because that's a really high waterfall. That's going to be very loud. And you would have <laughs> to be continually shouting on this balcony to be heard. Only imagine, human waterfalls are loud. <laughs> could you imagine Could you imagine, <laughs> the, the, the big blundering waterfalls, you mean? The yeah. big blundering waterfalls. Yeah, Elven yeah. ones are much more courteous. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine Bilbo? sitting around a table out here, right? Being like, wait, what? 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 Elrond? I, I'm only an old, old hobbit, and I can't hear a darn thing any of you are saying. I'm 111 <laughs> years old. I lost my hearing 20 years ago. Have some pity on me. <laughs> right. Karina, I agree. That would be a really funny film version, right? Frodo said, I said I will take it, but I don't know the way. Yeah. Yeah, you can borrow it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it would be uh, um, it would make it secret. I mean, nobody else would be able to hear what they were saying either. So, uh, um, yeah, but it <laughs> would seem to. Well, sound waves travel through the air, so maybe the maybe Elrond's ring has. There you go, right? Yeah, he can he can put a buffer. Exactly, as JJ says, an Elven cone of silence or (laughs) sphere of silence or whatever. Like I said, yeah. Man, a get smart reference. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it takes me back. 
All right. Cool. It's a nice balcony. Okay. <laughs> the only thing on this floor is the, uh, this is the one with the, um, the scholars. Yeah, the scholars. Hall, right? Yeah. Scholars Guild Hall, yes. This is uh, Wiggins Guild Hall, so I've been here a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. This is one of Wiggins' favorite places to hang out, actually. <laughs> Wiggins has spent months and months and months of his life, like, standing here right in front of this woman, uh, the vault keeper. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, and we've got the... I am so glad I figured out that whole air, earth, fire, and water thing. That makes me so much happier. Yeah, it does. I still it don't makes think sense it's there. the only answer, though. You know, I mean, like, the because the figures in front have to mean something. Like, the we've got the, the backdrop, right, of mm-hmm. earth and fire and air and water. That's pretty clear. But the uh, the white shapes in the front, the ship, the dragon, the tree, the, yeah. the moon, mm-hmm. have to mean something, too. Um, yeah. Yep. I love the stained glass window here. I don't think I've seen anything like that around. Oh yeah, with the uh, the egret. Some, oh yeah, it would be an egret. Yeah, with its crest, which we've seen that on walls. Sense. But you're right; we haven't really seen a stained glass before. Mm-hmm. And the scholars in the scholars guild hall have a shocking, have shockingly empty bookcases. Maybe because all of the other scholars have borrowed them. Yeah, if there's anything like uh, most of my me and my friends, we just kind of take stuff and forget to bring it back. Yes, yeah. I have be, stacks of books next to my nightstand. Yeah. Yeah. See, tells me I agree. Um, the the dragons, dragons like random tapestries of dragons do seem like a strange thing for elves to use as decor. I, I don't think they would just be like, hey, uh, dragons are cool. Let's put a pictures of dragons. Like, for instance, we get the green dragon in the Shire, right? And I don't mean the yes. pub. I mean that painting that we see in many pubs, right? Um, yeah. You know, one of those standard pieces of hobbit wall decoration that we get throughout the Shire. Um, that dragon seems like a fun dragon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this dragon, dragon out here, does not seem like a fun dragon. This right? is not a green great dragon. <laughs> no, this is not a green great dragon. This is not a this is not a dragon like from the dragon's visit or from uh, that is the po- from the, the poem Tolkien's poem the dragon's visit um, or uh, you know this is not a farmer Giles of Ham dragon right this is uh, this is a much more serious dragon this is a doom dragon yeah so wine so now that we figured out the pattern of the backgrounds tree and stars. Oh, trim here is really interesting too these sort of swirly paisley and hearts oh down at the bottom yeah yeah that's a fun you know what those remind me of that those remind me of tolkien's uh newspaper doodles 
that are in oh. the uh, Tolkien exhibit. He did a whole yeah, bunch that's of right. He has some. Girls. That's right. I remember seeing a lot of his borders that he'd draw for. Yes. Yes. Like yeah, his father Christmas letters or something exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah, I think they're trying to emulate his style there. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. White tree with, for some reason, nine stars, dragon, ship, moon, and moon is the one that's not in here. Never mind. Yeah. Moon and like nine stars. Again. And the ships. And the ships. Those are all in the healing house. Maybe mm -hmm. each one of these belongs in different rooms. Mm -hmm. Maybe the fire is supposed to sort of symbolize some sort of alchemy or something, something relating to scholars. Yeah. Or... I don't know what. We get the stars, like the Fanorian stars. Mm -hmm. We get two each of the earth and fire. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Interesting. Earth and fire. Earth means and it's fire. pottery. There you go. Pottery. That's what you get when you combine earth and fire. Yes. Okay. Well, the last thing that we have not looked at, which we might as well, is we've been in Bilbo's room. We've been everywhere, but the Hall of Fire. Well, and this other they should say over here. Which, I don't know. This is locked, right? This one over here, you have to have the quest? I think so. One? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's just from the epic quest. Yeah. Okay, so let's go. Let's let's end up in the Hall of Fire here this evening. Though we haven't gotten here in the text yet. Yeah, we should probably definitely you know do a cursory glance and then come back in more detail later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got Elbereth again at the top, looking overall in, in duplicate. Yes. Two Elbereths, which is kind of interesting. Like, why do we get so many? Hmm. Are we are we sure they're all Elbereths? Maybe they're all just sort of different kinds of. Uh, well, they all seem to be identical. Valor. That's true, but maybe it's, it's like it's the Moai heads. Of, this is the weirdest one. Like two of them side by side. Like, that's kind of strange. I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. It's an interesting design choice, that's for sure. Mm hmm I like the stars. Like, the, the ceiling is really nice. The stars oh, yeah. and the sort of the loose, uh, not tapestry, but just fabric, right? Uh, covering the vaulted ceiling. Um, mm hmm giving that giving the sense of of stars in stars in the nighttime sky that's kind of kind of cool yeah it's that uh perpetual night yeah oh no i get it the the blue is is the sky before the stars ah. there's the sky with the stars and then there's the sky with no stars for those ah. that remember Okay. Maybe. I see. Oh, okay. Hang on. Dior has a theory here. Okay, so the white images in the his theory is that the white images in the uh, the the tapestries relate to Eärendil and the House of Elros. 
Uh-huh. Right, the ship is Vingalot, uh, and so we get the Vingalot and the moon, both of which are connected to Arendel. Yeah, right? the yep. moon chases Arendel in some of the earlier poems. Um, in any case, we've got you know sort of like you've got the view of Vingalot, and then the sky one would be like the view from Vingalot, right? Um, uh-huh. Then you've got Enkalagan, right, the dragon who is uh, yeah taken out by Arendel, and then of course you've got the Numenorian Gondorian connection with Elros and his line. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy it. I can buy that too, I think. And notice that this then associates Arendel with three of the four elements. It associates him with the air and the water. Mm-hmm. Right? From yeah. his ship, which makes sense. Understandably. Right? The you know the mariner and the mar you know the mariner of the sky, um, mm-hmm. and then of course fire being the vanquishing of Ankalagan, uh, uh, so fire as his enemy who is overcome by him, uh, and then the earth uh, you know Elrond who or Elros rather who you know chose the earth and uh, uh, and remains. Um, Numenor and thinking about the roots of the tree that we see there. We talked a little bit about that too. Oh, yes, indeed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Tony, I do think uh, somebody was saying that they remember, and I think that that's probably right, that the the council of Elrond is in the back porch that we were in the one with the waterfall. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oop. Oh boy. Sorry. Um, Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back here, as you say, when we get to the Hall of Fire in the book. We'll come back and do some comparison and contrast here. Um, all right. All right. Cool. Good. Well, I think we finished with the last Homeway House, mostly. Well, we'll come back here. Mostly. Um, <laughs> Apart from, like, weird little most... gazebos sticking out somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. We mostly finished with it. We will continue exploring the grounds next time all right but interesting to see some of the ways in which they've described this one thing i would say in general here i guess bilbo's room is kind of an exception to this but the last homely house in the game doesn't seem especially homely you know yeah it's like a very nice library yes it's very nice but it's like when you look around, it feels like a museum more than it does a house, right? This mm-hmm. doesn't look like comfort. Their a house implies that you're allowed to touch things. This right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, I think... there's a guy over here, right, hanging out on this couch, right? So a metal, metal couch. Right. I'm not saying that you can't hang out here and that nobody does. It happens, but uh, it feels. I think it's the floors, the reflective <laughs> floors. Feels very. Uh, yeah, mar- marble isn't very comforting. No, it's really not. Um, yeah. But maybe it's yeah. all perspective. Maybe to an elf, this seems like a nice, lovely, comforting place to be. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And it um, beats sleeping on the ground. Sure does. All right. 
Very good. Okay, so we're going to say goodnight now. Thanks for joining us and finishing up the homely, last Homely House with us. We will move around the rest of uh, Rivendell some next time, unless we do something else. Maybe we, we, I would like to get to the Spring Festival thing. We'll check in with that. We'll see it another time. Maybe I'll do it on my Grifflet stream. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll do it here. Not quite sure. Oh, I can't wait to see what you think. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Thanks, everybody. Good night, and I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, all. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.